The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. If you guys would grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to make sure that you do. Just stick a hand up nice and high and someone will get one into your lap just as soon as possible. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And um, this is a, a passage, but even more so, it's a topic that's very, very, um, it's, it's one I'm, I'm passionate about. It's one that's important to me um, because I've seen it um, in my own life, or at least in the life of many loved ones around me for so long. It's one that I think um, it's good for the church to hear. Um, there'll be people in here this morning that this is speaking to you because it's where you are. And I pray that this encourages you and gives you hope. Um, There's other people in here that you're not in this particular situation, but at some point in time, you're going to come across people who are. And how you handle that can make all the difference in the world to the person that's dealing with despair and discouragement and depression and those things. And I want us to be good at that. By the grace and mercy of God and led by his spirit for sure, And if we can't be a place that can bring hope to the hurting, then then we've forgotten some stuff. And I think this is an important thing for us to to spend some time looking at. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to start, even though we spent all service last week looking at verse 7, we're going to start with verse 7, and we're going to go all the way through verse 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God, we bow before you right now and ask that you would have your way in us. That, Lord, even this text would have its way in us. Lord, we believe your scripture to be pure. We believe your scripture to be your very words. 
And we believe this scripture to be alive. And so I pray, God, that it would move amongst us even as we study it this morning, that you would set captives free, that you would lift the downtrodden, that you would exchange glory for ashes, that you would lift the countenance of those who are struggling, and that you would build up and equip the saints in your church for ministry to those who are. That, Lord, we might have an understanding, Lord, of your mercy and your grace and your hope, and that we might be better prepared, Lord, to stand alongside those who are hurting and to endure hurt ourselves. We ask, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O my King and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 16 of this text is really going to be the springboard for everything that we're going to talk about this morning. Verse 16 is really the springboard towards it. Let's look at it for just a moment. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now there's something in this text that's not quite as noticeable in the translation that we have before us, but in the original language, I assure you it's there. It's written in what's referred to as the present progressive. And because of it, this verse could be translated this way. It could be saying, we do not lose heart even though everything outside of us is wearing away. Now, this text does talk about the reality that our bodies are breaking down, absolutely, but it's talking about more than that. He's saying that everything outside of us is wearing away, and he says it in almost a flippant sort of way. It's almost like a, well, we all agree with this, so we can just move on. We don't need to do time here. Everything around us is passing away, and because of that, he just sort of moves on. It'd be really easy to miss. Um, He just assumes that everyone knows it's true, and I would hope that we all do, right? Everything around us is passing away. Everything is. Our bodies, for sure. For sure. I mean, I sound, when I get up in the morning, my joints sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies. That didn't used to happen when I was 20. There's cracks and pops, and that first walk from the bedroom to the coffee maker is a little more like this every single day. It's just not as fluid as it used to be. And I understand, man, when you start getting older, we, we actually went to a Brian Regan concert last night, a just awesome stand-up comic. If you don't know who he is, Google it, you're welcome. But uh, he talked a lot about this idea that he's at a point in his life now that he looks at older people and sees them getting around like this, and he's like, no, I totally get it. I know what happened to him. And that's just the reality of it, is we are all breaking down. You young people, enjoy it while it's there, man. It does not last. Your dad used to have it, I assure you, and he don't have it anymore. He might think he has it. Softball fields are full of men who think they have it. Right? Right? I love what Matt Chandler says. He's like, men, when you go home, just get out your high school jersey, give it a big hug, and then throw it away. (laughs) Say goodbye, put that young guy to death. It's not you anymore. But it's the reality. The reality is we are getting older. And maybe some of us in this room are a little further down the line to where the thought about what that end's going to look like or maybe how far away it is comes to mind a little more frequently than some of the rest of us. It has a way of happening. But he's not just talking about our bodies. He's talking about everything around us. Uh, Nature. We've talked about this a lot. Nature, as grand and beautiful as it can be, it's dying. 
I mean, every spring, those giant maple trees in my yard, I have that love-hate relationship with them. I've told you before, they begin to bud these leaves, and I love the fact that it's gonna provide shade and shelter for us and for our home all summer long, but I also know it's gonna cost me several weekends come fall because I don't know how all those leaves are up there because it doesn't look like it, right? Like, I look at the tree right now, and I'm like, that is not enough leaves because I know every fall there's like three times that many that I rake, and it's, we know, even as they're budding, they're going to come off again. And even as the tree is growing, the day is going to come that it does not exist anymore because everything in nature is on a path towards the end. Everything is, no matter what it is. Possessions, especially. So I, earlier this year, sold my boat. I had this lake boat that I'd just loved and had it for years. And I sold it because a family friend of ours builds drift boats here in town, builds these really nice ones and, and just made me this killer deal. He's just going to really hook me up with this boat. And so he's building it right now. And so this week I got to go out to the production facility in White City. They just finished welding the hole together and I got to see it. And I was all excited. Like, man, look at this, my new boat. It's all nice and shiny. And there's something about new stuff that makes us feel good, doesn't it? Like it gives you some hope. It's something you're looking forward to. You're just excited and all the new gadgets and all these things. But the reality is Craigslist is full of boats that are old and broke down and rusted. And people are like, just take it. Just get it away from me. And those boats all were the same. At some point, someone was waiting for that boat to get done and going, oh, I can't wait my new shiny boat. At some point, they were all in that condition, but we know it doesn't stay new forever. And that same kind of attraction, that hold on us that sometimes our possessions can have is really strong when they're new, but not so much as they begin to break down. Some of you are learning, especially young people are learning that relationships can experience the same kind of thing. You can go to school with someone for 12 years, same school, same school district, grow together, but life has a way of just peeling relationships off from time to time. Very few are the relationships that have stood decades of history together. And so right now, you might have friends that you have been with forever. And then graduation comes and you put on those caps and gowns and now, even as we speak, kids are starting to peel off to report to this school and to go off to report to that school. And, and I know you'll stay together forever through Facebook and all those sorts of things, but the reality is, is that we have reunions for a reason. And it's because the connections between people tend to just seem to fade as we move on through life. It's a sad reality, but it's true. Everybody feeling happy so far this morning? This is the reality Paul speaks of here. And the reason it's important to understand this because it's not just about us and our physical bodies. Paul is saying, look, everything around us is falling. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. That once sin and rebellion entered into the world, the world we live in now is not the world God designed for us, nor is it the world we are designed to live in. It's broken, it's fallen. It's dying as a result. So all around us, life's hard because the world is broken. Suffering happens because the world is broken. And with that realization and with this understanding, when we really wrap our minds around that, man, you're right, Jeff, you just ruined my Sunday, man. I haven't even had coffee. And now I'm like, everything's gonna die and I hate my possessions. And oh my goodness. Well, if you dwell on those things, the sad reality is there's plenty of opportunity in this dead and dying world for depression and discouragement 
and despair and anxiety and worry and fear. Tons of opportunities for this. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is going to be leaning heavily more on the despair and even depression end of things because it's one of those elephants in the room that we don't tend to talk about too much in our Christian lives. But I want to define really what we're talking about and help us make sure we understand exactly what it is we're dealing with. Um, Anxiety is kind of easy to define. Anxiety is largely situational. Not always, but largely situational. Anxiety is, is something's coming that you have no control over. You don't have the ability in you to deal or to affect the outcome of what is on the way. And so fear can creep in. It can be a reality that you're in now or a reality that's coming, or it can be a perceived one, one that you, this is what you think is coming. This is what you think is about to happen. And yet you do not have within you the ability or the power to affect that decision. And so fear and anxiety creeps in. And it's largely situational. So you could be a woman who maybe your grandmother and your great-grandmother both died of breast cancer and now you've found a lump and you've got a doctor's appointment on Tuesday when you get the results. So it's understandable, isn't it? Fear, anxiety, worry would grab hold of you. Or, Or maybe you're a man who's lost your job and your ability to provide financially for your house, for your household. And so there's things coming, there's bills coming, and you don't see within you any ability or how you're going to be able to deal with this situation. And so anxiety comes in. Depression's very different. Depression's much more elusive, much more hard to pin down. Um, depression is, it can be, it's really anything from a general sense of just ill at ease or fear um, all the way to an all-encompassing loss of hope or complete lack of happiness or joy in someone's life. Um, Some might refer to it as Paul does in our text today using the phrase, we do not lose heart. Depression could really easily be described as a loss of hope or a loss of heart. Now depression can be situational. Something happens in someone's life and it spins them out into a funk where they see no hope and no joy and how am I ever going to get out of this thing? Um, This was the case with my mother many years ago. When my father abandoned our household, had an affair, left the family, I was off in college, my sister had just left in college, my mom's entire identity was wrapped up in being a Christian mother and a Christian wife. And in a span of about two months, all of it was gone. And she was in a house all by herself, facing something she never thought she would see, and it spun her out into a horrible, horrible depression. I can remember seeing her. She would sit on the couch. She had wasted away to almost nothing. And she would lay on the couch, balled up with a blanket over her. And every so often, as the pressures and this darkness would just close around her, she would go into these seizures. She would start going, and they would last for a good 20, 30 seconds. I mean, there was nothing you could do but hold her. This was like a godly woman. I mean, you're talking taught Sunday school forever, like raised godly kids. This is a strong woman, but this situation came out of nowhere and it blindsided her and spun her out into a very dark depression. Her life wasn't categorized by depression. It was situational. But not every depression is situational. Some depression is more clinical. I have a good friend, a good fishing buddy of mine that every year when the weather changes, And it goes into that rain all the time. Those of you that are new to Oregon, I have bad news for you. The good news is the smoke leaves, right? The bad news is so does the sun. 
And you get that rain, not that good rain like I used to have back in the south where it just dumps and it's just cool. You get that kind of rain. You know what I mean? I'm sorry about that, man. I'll clip. <laughs> I'll clean that up later. Just watch your step. We have any water signs? Could you put that right there? But you get that season. Um, and, and for some people, that's a trigger. And this particular guy, I know that when that type of year comes, he's not going to call me. I got to call him. And, and left to his own, he'll stay in the house. And, and he's been part of Christian community before that had all kinds of little fixes and things like that, and it's never really taken for him. In fact, some of the advice he got from Christians was so despairing, it only increased his depression and pushed him out of Christian and church circles, as a matter of fact. But his depression's not so much situational, it's more clinical. You might say medical, emotional. And he just goes through funks. He has seasons where he's going through depression uh, depression and despair and it's really difficult sometimes to find the roots of those things even for the person that's in the middle of it it can be very difficult you can talk to people about their despair and their depression in those moments and you'll get answers like "I I don't know I don't know what do you mean you don't know what's making you sad I don't know and I assure you it's real I assure you it's real now this kind of despair and pain, and difficulty, and that sometimes inability to even deal or face with what's coming is not just something that those outside the grace and mercy of Christ are prone to, I assure you. In the last year, I have met with many people in our own congregation that wrestle with depression and despair and loss of hope. I've met with multiple people in the last year who have either attempted or have regular thoughts and wrestling with regards to suicide in our room. And I'm talking about people that you would look at from the outside and say, well, it's not that one, who else could it be? They're too godly, or they're too happy, or they're just too, there's no way it's that person, and yet I assure you, given the opportunity, despair and discouragement can come for us all. None of us is impervious to these sorts of things. We might be inclined differently emotionally and in our makeup to maybe the, uh, the more, uh, not so much situational depression, but opportunities are, to- are there for all of us within the church. Um, Randy Alcorn, many of you guys have heard of Randy Alcorn, have you not? Christian author, well-known author. Um, in recent years, it's become a little more okay in Christian circles to be able to speak about depression and difficulty, and he's one of those who has really been leading the charge in those things, and he's been writing a lot about different things, and he said this about his own frequent and regular um, cyclical bouts with depression. He said this, I would feel, this is wrong. I should have the joy of the Lord. I can't be depressed. I'm a Christian, and so my attitude was, I have to get out of it. And so I would try to find ways to pull myself out of it, but it seemed that nothing I could do would ever get me out of the funk. Now, instead of trying so hard to dig my way out, I just try to remember that God's with me in my depression. Randy Alcorn wrote this. Now, what do you say to someone in that? How do you minister to someone in that situation? Let's say that someone in this church says that to you. I'm just in the middle of this thing and I'm in this funk and I can't get out of it and I don't know what to do and I'm just praying that God's with me there in the middle of it. What would our answer to that be? Well, I've seen people historically do some really bad things and probably done some of it myself. 
And, and, and some of them, one of the, the worst things I think that you can do is just automatically assume that they're just missing like this one little nugget of information. If you could just throw this one thing at them, just get them to understand this one little truth, Bible verse, whatever it happens to be, it's going to fix everything. So this is all you need. Randy, come on, man. How, how can you be in depression? You're going to heaven. You need to just look to heaven and that'll fix everything. Well, that's hard to say to Randy Alcorn because he wrote a book called Heaven. And it is probably the definitive work on the topic of heaven in our generation. So it's hard to go to Randy Alcorn and say, you're just not heavenly minded enough. If you'd get your eyes off of the things around here, maybe that would help. That's pretty difficult. What about Charles Spurgeon? I mean, uh, Charles Spurgeon, maybe the greatest preacher who ever lived outside of Jesus well-known hero, giant of the faith, wrestled his entire life with depression. He had medical issues. He had stress issues. He was a young man leading one of the biggest movements in church history, and he felt the pressure of all of it. And he wrestled with depression off and on his entire life. But he got really bad one Sunday when in the middle of a service with hundreds of people in this room packed in tightly years ago in England, Someone came into the congregation wanting to disrupt the service that was going on, and they started yelling, fire, fire, and chaos broke out in the sanctuary. And in the stampede that ensued, people trying to get out, six people were killed. And Charles Spurgeon later said, I never got over that. And his depression from that moment on became much more severe. And he actually wrote about it quite extensively, and he said this, despondency or despair is not a virtue, I believe it's a vice, and I am heartily ashamed of myself for falling into it. He called depression his worst feature. So what do you say to, to, what do you say to Spurgeon? Spurgeon, you're just not Christ-centered enough. If you knew the Bible, you would be fine. You cannot say that to Charles Spurgeon. Are you kidding me? That guy's as Christ-centered as anyone we've ever seen. That guy knows the word backwards and forwards. That wasn't the issue. What about some of our biblical heroes? David, we read Psalm 40 when we began. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. We love that. We have songs based on that passage. But just think of how the whole thing even starts. I was in a bog. I was in a pit. I was bogged down, could not get out, sunken into a pit. And what did I do? I waited. How long? How long did he have to wait? And we have, we have other Psalms that David wrote where he says, how long, O oh Lord? Or later in Psalm 42, he says this. Put the first verse up, would you? I think I have this slide somewhere. Psalm 42, verse one. We know this one really well. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants or longs for you. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, oh God. You guys know this verse, right? There's a song, right? I hate that song. It, not the message behind it. It's scripture. I can't hate that. But that song I can remember in a denominational church years ago. As the deer panteth for... Bleh. I just hated that song. I just never liked that song. But people love that song. Some of you guys, raise your hand. Be honest. Who loves that song? There's a lot of people. That's, all right? But, but here's the thing. Do you know the context in which that's written? 
I mean, we read it just a little while ago. Maybe it would surprise you to understand the actual context in which David writes this. Put the rest up. Let's look at it ourselves. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In other words, when will I see you? I'm panting like a thirsty animal waiting to see you, God. When will I see you? And look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where's your God? You ever felt like that? Where is he? I've been waiting, crying. Listen to what he's saying. I'm spending all day weeping, and my tears and my emotions seem to be saying to me over and over, where is your God? Where is he? Has he left you? Has he abandoned you? Where is he? Verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. But why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? You know what David's saying there? I fake it. I'll lead and go with the people and I'll put on the festivity and I'll put on this, but in my heart, I'm struggling. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? You see, Jeremiah, Paul, Peter, Job, there are people throughout scripture, Jesus Christ himself, who have had the weight of the world and the darkness of all that is broken in it, at some point press down. We see our Savior in the garden pressed so much that blood is literally coming from his forehead under the weight of what is to come. So depression, despair, discouragement, and its temptations are available there for us all. And this is what Paul's talking about in this, in this chapter. In chapter 4, he says in verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 16 of this passage gives to us two universal desires that I do not care who you are, I do not care what your background is, every single person in this room holds these two universal desires. Number one, nobody wants to lose heart. Nobody wants to lose heart. Not one of you walked in here this morning going, I just hope Jeff says something that just takes the wind right out of my sails. That would rock me today. I would love that. I want to walk out of here deflated. Not one of you feels that way. And the second is that everyone wants to be renewed. We're all aware. As the passage says, look, things are just breaking down all around us, including ourselves, and we all want to be renewed. Even daily we want to be renewed because life is not static. Life is not even keeled. It's highs and lows. And the Christian life in particular, which is especially the one Paul's talking about in this text, is one of deplete, refill, deplete, refill, give out, receive, give out, receive. And as we go through life and we start to feel those ebbs and flows, those peaks and valleys, every single one of us wants to be renewed. None of us want to stay in those depleted states or downward slopes even further. We all want to be renewed. And so verse 16 and the first part of verse 17 have for us two 
incredibly important words and it's probably the last two words any of us would think to grab to if we were studying this particular passage. It's so and it's for. The first one, the verse says 16, so we do not lose heart. That's a conjunction. Any uh, Saturday morning cartoon people right here? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Amen? It's, that's way better than as the deer pants. Well, anyway, so um, I'm gonna sound blasphemous if I'm not careful. Um, so when it says, so we do not lose heart, what he's saying there is he's saying, so that's a conjunction that's connecting that verse to everything that he had just said before that. So what he's doing is, so we do not lose heart. He's grabbing, if you will, all of these statements that he's made in the paragraph before. Because of all of these things, so we do not lose heart. And then the passage goes on. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for. We are being renewed day by day for or because or as a result of. And now he's reaching forward, if you will, in the text and grabbing the things that he's going to say right following that. So because of those two conjunctions, that is Paul's way of grabbing all of these statements before and pulling them together and saying, this is why we do not lose hope. This is how we can be renewed day by day. It's incredibly important. And so what we're going to do is we're just gonna go through, he's gonna say eight things to us in this passage and I'm just gonna go through them uh, mostly pretty quickly. This isn't about big, deep, in-depth, dissect all of these little parts necessarily. For some of you, this is purely a reminder and that's maybe what we need the most sometimes is to just be reminded because let me make a disclaimer as I move forward on this. It'd be really easy for someone who's looking at this stuff to then go, see, this is all you have to do. Follow these eight steps. If you're in a depression, if you're struggling, just remember these things. Look to heaven. Look at these things. That's all you have to do to fix all that. And let me, let me explain to you. If you're here and you're wrestling with discouragement, this is what can happen. You can say, okay, well, Jeff gave me the eight steps. I'm going to go home and do the best that I can to fix them. But you might be in a situation that's so ingrained that you're not even aware of yet. Go try your eight steps, if you will. Find that they don't work. And now you're even more discouraged and more despaired. But here's what I want you to understand, and we all as Christians should understand this. We've talked a lot lately about Old Covenant and New Covenant. Old Covenant ministry was taking rules, laws, formulas, steps, and saying, do this, and putting it on the shoulder of the person. That's what it was. The Old Covenant was a whole bunch of laws. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. New Covenant ministry isn't like that. So if, if you come across someone who's discouraged, and you say, look, here's the deal. This is all you need to do. And you start piling verses on top of their shoulder. Do this, this, this. Don't you know the Bible says this, this, this. And piling those things on them. Listen, though your heart may be absolutely pure in those things. And though God's word is absolutely true. You're participating in what's essentially old covenant ministry. You're just piling a bunch of stuff on top of the person and say, if you do this, you'll be delivered and you're going to be okay. That's not New Covenant ministry. New Covenant ministry is an explosion of the Spirit of God through the followers of God in conjunction with the Word of God that comes alongside people, walks with people, encourages people, at the appropriate and right and good times, brings the Word to bear for sure, but also says, just like God says to us in His New Covenant promises, I'm walking with you whether you understand this right now or not. I'm going to stand with you through this no matter what. 
And even if you fall, I'm still going to be there. And the Spirit of God is going to walk by us, and we're going to get through this thing. That's new covenant ministry. Be careful not to minister to people in such a way that you're just piling laws on someone, as great as God's word is. You can still be participating in old covenant ministry and leaving out the very spirit of God in the community which God desires. So, so if you're here and you're struggling with depression, or you have friends at home that are struggling with those sorts of things, you can have this temptation to go, finally, I got it all, we found out. Jeff figured it out, like, what? as if. But yeah, we, we got it, and we'll go, and we'll just give them that, and you guys fix this. This will fix everything. Be careful. I mean, my mother, for example, if I had come to her, this is all you gotta do, mom. Just do this. You'll be fine. Look, my mom knew the word. Charles Spurgeon knew the word. Randy Alcorn knows the word. But there are times in our lives where we can't see the forest for the trees. There's times that we can find ourselves in such darkness that we, we don't need more rules to dig ourselves out. What we need is brothers to come alongside us, to grab our arms, to pray with us, to be there with us, and to, as David says, to wait patiently for the Lord to draw us out. And not to have to wait alone. So, so if you're here, please understand. These are reminders and these are things that are absolutely true. But my prayer is that you'll get some help. That you'll come to us. You'll come to someone else. You won't feel ashamed for the way that you feel. That you'll be willing to say, I'm struggling. And I need someone around us. Because that's what the very body of Christ exists to do. Is to come alongside the person who's weak. That they might be strong in due time. Amen? So this is not an end-all, fix-all, and this is not me just saying, just smile and you'll get through it. But God's word is true, and so it bears understanding and knowing. And here's the beautiful part. Even when we can't see what the promises are, even when we can't remember what the promises of God are, they're still true. You know what I mean? Like, they're not dependent on us anyway. That's the beauty of the new covenant. I may not understand or remember heaven, but guess what? It's still coming, and I'm still gonna be there one day. And even when I get stuck in the junk in this world and I'm in my own funk, heaven is still being prepared for me. And that is really good news. Amen? I thought for sure I'd get more than just that one amen, but you, you and me are tight. We got that. Anyway, so we'll, we'll just move on. We don't have time to scold people. So here we're going. We're going to look at these eight things that Paul's text, and we're going to do it quickly, that he shares to those of us why we do not lose heart. And number one is this, God's power, Jesus' life is being manifest and glorified in us. We covered this mostly last week, so we don't need to spend a ton of time on this here today. But in verse seven, it does say, we have this treasure in gars, jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. This idea that as we're going through difficulty, the power that is within us that brings us through hard things is not our own, it's God himself. And as we go through difficulty, and specifically when we get to those places in life that we do not feel we have the ability to move forward or to handle the situations before us, it's the Spirit of God that carries us through. Everyone loves that footprints in the sand thing, right? This is what we're talking about. That you realize, man, it was God that carried me through that because I was done. I was at an end of myself. And so what Paul's saying here, when we go through those sorts of hardships, that's when God's power is manifest. In other words, it becomes something tangible, something physical, something that we can see and identify. Not just like, in theory, I believe God is powerful, but like, no, look, do you see how powerful God is? Look how he got me through this. He was there for me when I had no strength. And this is repeated. It's also in verse 10. 
He says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest or made tangible in our lives. Verse 11, same thing. For we who live are being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. When we see God stand with us and carry us through things we could have never gotten through on our own, we come out the other side and are able to visibly and tangibly see God is real, and his strength is real, and his love for me is real, and he was there for me. Not in theory, but in reality, it has been manifest in my life. And for that reason, Paul says, man, I do not lose heart. Number two, through my weakness, others are being strengthened. Paul's saying, what would I rather be in life than a means of life to others? I think deep down in our own hearts, don't we all want that? Don't we all want to be people who others can draw on, who we can prop others up in their time of need? I mean, isn't there, whether you're in the church, in the body of Christ or not, there seems to be this natural affinity and draw towards the hero stories or the sacrifice stories. I mean, you don't have to be Catholic to look at the life of Mother Teresa and admire it and be amazed by it. Believers and unbelievers look at that and go, that's amazing. And that's why so many people, even those that are unbelievers, still have respect for Jesus because they look at his life and how he served others and they go, I can't argue with that. I think we're all drawn to that. And Paul's saying, look, the difficulties that I go through, they, they serve others and give glory to God. He says this in verse 12, death is at work in us, but life in you. And in verse 15, he says, it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It's really parts one and two all in the same thing. He says, as I'm going through difficulty, I'm able to minister to others. They're able to see Christ come to life, if you will, manifest in my life. And so it strengthens them. And at the same time, God's the one who gets the glory. And I want to be a part of that, Paul says. And so for that reason, I do not lose heart. Number three, God promises us we will not be overtaken. Verses eight and nine. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down and not destroyed. Each pair says the same thing. Our suffering was immense. Yes, the difficulty was real, but it had limits. That God will not allow us to be overtaken. That is a promise to you. He's not gonna allow you to be destroyed. And that is an important word for some people when you're in the middle of that despair and all you feel is darkness all around you. You've gotta understand God promises you, I will not let you be destroyed. And maybe even more important to you today, if you're in that position, the understanding that, and you're not alone, even if you feel like it. He says that we are persecuted, but not forsaken. I will not leave you alone. I will not, mother and father may fail, but I will not fail you. I will not leave you alone. That is a beautiful promise. And again, to know that even when we are faithless, Our faithlessness and our fear and our inability to see that does not cause the promises to not be true for us anymore. He's still there. Whether we understand it or feel it or know it, he's still there. In fact, the scriptures say he's even closer to us, doesn't it? That he draws near the brokenhearted because he's a good dad. 
And what good dad leaves his daughter to cry? My wife had gone out of town last week, right the, when the thunderstorms came. And my youngest daughter hates thunderstorms, which is tough when she's around me because I love thunderstorms. So like I'm getting all excited and she's like ah, freaking out. But middle of the night, I'm laying there in bed, something happened and a dog woke me up, whatever it was, and I could see the flashes. And I knew, I knew if she's awake, she's freaking out. And this particular daughter, I know, she's not always quick to come and get help. Sometimes, it, I don't, it, it's not my nature, but some people's nature is that, that rather than calling out, they just hunker down and fear and tremble and cry. And this is, I know this is what she's going to be doing. And so I got up and I went to her. I go into the bedroom and there she is, awake. I'm scared, daddy. Thunderstorms. And so I said, it'll be fine. It's not going to touch you. Get over it. Stop crying. I'm going back to sleep. They got to learn. They got to learn. Of course not. I delighted in grabbing my daughter and taking her to my bed with me. I delighted in being able to be strong for her. I couldn't take the storm away, but it brought me joy to sit there in bed with her and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And when the booms would come, I'd feel her tense up. And it was a pleasure as her dad to stroke her arm as that happens. And that is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fallen, wicked man like everyone else. How much more so our God, that he delights to come near the brokenhearted. And that even when we don't see him, it doesn't mean he's not there. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Next, we will be raised from the dead with Jesus. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I, why do I not lose heart? Because even if what we think is the worst happens and death is the end, I'm going to be raised again with Jesus. I'm going to be raised with Jesus and with everyone else with Jesus has been before me. So my grandpa, who I haven't seen in over 30 years, who I used to get to sit in his lap and he would give me dollar bills and candy and this deep redneck laugh <laughs> as he would sit there watching professional wrestling on television. And I miss him and I'm going to be with him again. And so no matter how bad the things that might come, I'm going to be raised again. I'm gonna be with my grandpa. I'm gonna get to see my grandmother again. Oh, she was such a great gift giver. Every Christmas, we would get the best gifts from her. She loved her grandchildren so much. I miss her, but I'm going to see her again. And even more so, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Face to face. I'm going to get to see him who loves me so much. And so I don't lose heart when I remember that. Why should I? Number five, these afflictions are momentary. Look at verse 17. For this light momentary affliction. Now I got, I got to do just a tiny bit of work here and some of you won't like it. When it says that the afflictions in life are momentary, that doesn't mean seconds. And that doesn't mean minutes. It might mean 40 years. It might mean the rest of your natural life. And we don't like to hear that because when we start thinking about things like that, we think of that as sort of being the big number. But, but here's what Paul's saying. He's making a comparison, not in time here, but in time eternal. 
And so he's saying, the thing that you're dealing with here is temporary. It might only last 80 years. But then forever it's gone. Forever. And so the problem is, is that our minds can't get around that. So for us to hear, you might struggle with this for the rest of your life, seems unbearable. But on the back end of that, I assure you, it's nothing. And some of us who, some of you in particular, who have maybe been around even many more years than I have, you know that to be true too. That you turn around and look and you're like, where did it go? Where did it go? But this is what Paul is saying here. And in particular, the word that he actually uses in there when he talks about these momentary afflictions is the word present. It means it's ordained for this present time and then never again, never again. You might be fighting cancer in this present time, but never again. You might deal with abandonment and relationships that end and people that let you down, or you might feel really lonely, but that's just for right now. But the time is coming when never ever again, ever. And in comparison, those, those struggles are momentary. Difficult to get our minds around, but oh God, give us the faith to understand that. Next, these afflictions are light. Verse 17, this light momentary affliction. Now what afflictions was Paul referring to? Just quickly, keep your finger right here, but just turn to the right just a couple of pages and look at chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24, Paul describes the afflictions that he's dealt with, that he's calling light. These were light. Okay, so what are they? Verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That doesn't mean like cave junction. Okay, just making sure. This means they threw huge rocks at him. That's what we're saying here. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times? Three, after two, I'm probably not getting in boats anymore. But this guy, three times, shipwrecked. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I was in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So, I mean, just think of it, guys. If we were beaten once, we would shout it from the rooftop and open up blogs and be all over the place. He was beaten innumerable times. He was whipped and he, he he suffered from exposure to cold. He was left without food. He was shipwrecked over and over. He conveniently left off bitten by poisonous snake, but that's in there. I mean, there was all kinds of things that happened to him. And then he's like, and the whole time I was really wrestling with, I gotta make sure the churches are okay, which is amazing to me. I love you guys, but if a snake bites me, you're not gonna be on my mind for a little bit. Just for like an hour, maybe, right? And this is amazing what he's going through. And he says, these afflictions are light. These afflictions are light. The heaviest of the heavy, he refers to looking back at light. So what about modern day? What about the afflictions and things, the worst of the worst that we can experience today? What about this one, dear brother? Can you put this one picture up? You guys recognize this guy? Most of you probably don't recognize him, at least from this picture. The next picture might help. 
How about putting the next picture up? Recognize him? This is the guy who was brutally murdered just last week in Iraq. I mean, these are the kind of afflictions that Paul includes, right? Persecution for beliefs. Paul himself is going to experience quite an end. But it's not just this one guy. I mean, look, just in that area alone with Christians in general, it's much more. Go to the next picture. The next one. Crucified. The next one. Crucified. That was last week. These are last week. And Paul says, even that, even these sorts of things, you can take that down now, even those sorts of things, he says, they're light affliction. Now, we gotta be careful here, what we understand about this, because this is not what Paul's saying. Your problems are light compared to this. That is not what Paul's saying. Now, there's a place for perspective, There's a place to see images like that and realize how blessed we are and maybe put some of our struggles in perspective. But you have to be careful here because for someone that's wrestling with depression, for someone that feels like they're in the middle of stuff and they can't handle it and they don't know what to do with it, if you come to them and you go, look, don't you understand? It could be so much worse. I know your heart's right when you say these things. It could be so much worse. I mean, consider what's going on in other places, or at least this didn't happen. And, and I know our hearts is good, but here's what a lot of people that wrestle with depression often report. When, when those things are said to them, it can actually increase their depression because they're thinking, I'm already wrestling with this, and this is nothing. And I can't even deal with this? Man, I'm more worthless than I thought. And so there are a lot of people that deal with that. They felt bad not being able to get through difficulty already, and now they're like, look how ridiculous my problems are. I'm even worse than I realized. So so understand something. First of all, all suffering is suffering. And what you deal with is what you are dealing with. And so it is not okay for any of us to judge and say that's nothing or sweep anything under the rug. That is not our heart in anything. When Paul says this about my light affliction, he's not comparing struggle to struggle. Listen to me. He's comparing struggle to glory. He's saying whatever you're dealing with, no matter how big, little, whatever it is, when it's compared to what you're going to experience one day when Jesus Christ returns and you are brought into him with glory, it will make that feel light. It is not to downplay your struggle, it is to increase and exalt the glory that God has for us moving forward. So whatever you're dealing with, if it feels heavy, yeah, that's good enough for me, it's heavy. But God has glory coming. There is help coming, and it will not crush you. It will not crush you. Um, Two more quickly. Number seven, his affliction is actually serving him, not destroying him. Our afflictions serve us. He says in verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Says the struggles we go through and the afflictions we go through now are actually doing something in us. They are preparing, not preparing, notice what he says. It doesn't say it's preparing you for the glory. It's preparing glory for you. That's important to understand because we can look at suffering as just being like this bad commercial we have to sit through before the video we actually want to watch on the internet actually starts playing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you go to watch a CNN video or something like that and they make you watch that commercial. Longest 30 seconds of your life waiting on that commercial to end. 
Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying we just have to tough it out and get through all this hard stuff so that there's this amazing prize on the other end. No, he's speaking of a direct correlation that as we trust God through suffering, as we keep focus and dependency on Jesus through our difficulties, that has a direct correlation to the amount and to the experience of glory that we will have in heaven one day. And that is important to understand because if you don't understand that, if you just think that the sufferings today are just some barrier we got to get through till we get to the good stuff, then let's just end it. Then why not, why blame anyone that commits suicide if that's the, the deal? But what they don't understand is they are being cheated by Satan. And I've talked to people and it's as if it's this tangible voice that they can hear that says, the sufferings are there, just end it, just get beyond it. But Satan is a manipulator and he is a liar and he is trying to deceive and steal from you and destroy you at the same time. And you are cheating yourself. You're robbing your family members of joy. You're robbing yourself of joy and you're setting yourself up. You are not taking advantage of the opportunities that God is bringing your way and promises to carry you through that will increase the glory that's to come. So hang in there. I know it seems pointless, but your suffering is not pointless. You know, in the Bible, he says, he has captured every one of my tears and he numbers them. And you think, what does that mean? Does it just means he's just moved like, oh, you're sad. I'm just keeping an eye on. No, he's keeping record. And what you're going through and your difficulty will absolutely affect the glory that's to come. So don't, don't misunderstand. Suffering, it, it seems like our enemy now, but doesn't God promise that all things will be turned to good for those who love the Lord? God is using them to turn them into good for us. And we may not see that totally until that day, but I assure you, it will be worth it. You may not see it right now. You may not understand that right now, but trust him. Believers, come alongside people. Encourage them in that. Our suffering is working for us, even when we can't see it. And finally this, he sets his eyes on the glory to come. As we look, verse 18, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, the more that I can focus on what is to come, on the glory and eternity that God is preparing me for and that is preparing for me, the easier it is to deal with these things that are falling down all around me. No matter what they are, good or bad, they're transient. They come and go. But what God has for me will last forever. And so to the degree that we can keep our eyes on that and have an actual heavenly long-term perspective, it's going to make it easier to deal with suffering and difficulty. I'm not saying that if you just look to heaven, your your despair and your depression is going to go away. Randy Alcorn writes about those things. He wrote the book on heaven and he's writing a lot about depression as well. But I'll tell you this, to the, to the degree that we can find even the discipline in ourselves to set our minds on things above and to not give too much press, if you will, to the difficulties that are around us, that will serve us. You know, James Foley, the man who was executed this week, we just had his picture up there. Did any of you guys see the interview with his family? It was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, this is the second time he was taken hostage. So his family have seen this before. And then the family's interviewed about this and and they know he's dead. They've seen the pictures. And this is what they said. Every time we start to get depressed, we think of Jim and his courage. And we know right now, Jimmy is free. He's finally free. 
and we know he's in God's hands, we know he's in heaven. To the degree that we can train ourselves to set our eyes on these things, to the degree that you can come alongside the hurting and help them lift their head to set their eyes on these things, to the degree that the Spirit of God will have its way with us and empower us to set our mind on these things, no matter what's coming, no matter what the difficulties are, look, God's power and Jesus' life is being manifest in you. Look, your struggle is breathing life into other people. Look, God sustains you and he will not allow you to be overcome. Look, he raised Jesus from the dead and he's gonna raise you and the rest of us with him. Look, these afflictions, are, these afflictions are momentary. Look, these afflictions are light. Look, this affliction is serving you and look to the glory to come because God has amazing things in store for you and for me. Amen? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Aren't you thankful that the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ and it refers to him as a man of sorrow, a man acquainted with grief and suffering? So whoever's in this place today that might be struggling with depression or despair, and if you would, leave the rest of those lights on for just a minute, just for a minute so I can see. While the Bible speaks and it tells us about how Jesus was in the garden knowing what was coming, all kinds of opportunity for anxiety and despair. But the Bible says he endured the cross for you and for me. And so Christian, you are not alone in your suffering. He gets it. We as Christians should not mock those that are depressed or despairing or in anxiety. He gets it. He understands the pressure. He understands fear. He understands as a good father our frames that we are like dust. And he says he takes pity on us. And to the unbeliever, this is what you gotta know. You gotta know that all the pressure of all of this fallen world, including your sin, my sin, our rebellion against God, was placed on the shoulders of one man. And his name is Jesus Christ. That he went to the cross carrying the biggest burden this world has ever seen. That he was left completely alone. That he was totally abandoned. And that he hung naked on a cross until his death to pay the price for the sins that we've committed against God and against each other. But our God is a powerful God. Jesus even said, take heart, in this world you will have trouble, but do not fear, for what? I have overcome the world. We serve a risen Savior. Because on that third day, he walked out of that tomb. And sometime later, he ascended into heaven. And he promises us, do not let your heart be troubled. Because if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. Our suffering, it is temporary, it is real, and it is hard, and in no way do I intend to make light of anything that you're going through. But I assure you, it has an end if your faith is in Jesus Christ. If you will trust him, if you will believe in him, for those who repent of their sin and choose to follow him as Savior and Lord, there is hope for the hopeless. There is rest for the weary, There is joy for those in sorrow. 
And then there is community amongst another group of believers. We here at Heritage, we are not a group of people who have everything figured out. We're a group of people who are being led by Jesus. And maybe a better way of saying it is we're being carried by Jesus. And we found community with the Holy Spirit within us, which he promises to give you his spirit when you put your faith in him. And we found community with one another here within the fellowship of the saints. So it doesn't mean like you say some magic prayer, some magic potion, and then all of a sudden all the suffering's gone and life's just roses from here on out. That's not necessarily true. In fact, in some cases, it's harder to follow Jesus than it is to follow the world. But the Bible says that there is a peace that passes understanding. And we have the assurances and the promises of Scripture. And I assure you, every single thing we read today is absolutely real. Heaven's coming. Hope is on the way. But only to those who call upon Him and put their faith in Jesus. And so here's what I'd like to do this morning. In a minute, I'm going to have you all stand. And if we could, if the huddle leaders and their wives, sorry to spring this on you guys, but I just really feel like we should do this. If the huddle leaders and their wives would make their ways to the back, we want to have some people available there in the back of the sanctuary to pray with you. If you're saying, I, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to know that my life has purpose. I want to know that I'm in eternity with him and with grandpa and with all of those others. Then go back there and you declare that to them and have them pray with you. Or if you're a believer in this place, whatever you're suffering with, I don't care what it is. If you're suffering from poison ivy or from cancer. If you're suffering from a bad boss or unemployment. If you're suffering within your relationship, coworkers, family, you've been abused, you've been abandoned, whatever you are dealing with in life, the Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens, that we're to come alongside one another, to pray for one another and to encourage one another. And we really want to be able to do that with you this morning. So will you take advantage of it? You're gonna have all kinds of pressures wanting to keep you in your chair, warning you in advance. But despise that. Do not ignore the help and the resources that God has given to the church to help us get through these sorts of things. And in particular, can I say this? If you're here Christian or not, and you're in despair, and you feel alone, and you hear stories like Robin Williams a couple of weeks ago, and those sorts of things, and you're like, yep, me too, and you've never talked to anyone, I beg you, come. Make your way up and go to the back. There will be no shame in this room today. And go receive prayer. Talk to someone. Let us help find you some help and, and come around one another and bring you the kind of community that you are so desperately in need of. And then we'll pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So for all of us, if we can now stand, huddle leaders in the back, you guys can kill those lights and will you guys just take advantage of this time, just go back there and receive prayer. And the rest of us, will you pray for people in this room? There are hurting people in this room who are even filled with fear and anxiety just in the thoughts of going back there to do that. So pray for them. And may ministry take place in here. May the Spirit of God move in this place. And then when Sam, when Sam uh, dismisses us, if you would, if people are still back there praying, just if you guys would just sort of reserve that area for that fellowship and everything here, but, but it, maybe you're afraid to walk out now because they're singing, we'll be there. But don't leave this place feeling alone this morning. God, we just pray that your spirit would move in this place, Lord. 
that you would heal the hurting. Lord, your word tells us that you are anointed to set captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, and that you will exchange beauty for our ashes. May you do that this morning. And we're so thankful for the truth of your gospel, that you have done that eternally for us as well. Lord, as we sing praises to you, may you minister to your people through us. In Jesus' name.